God, take my lips and help me share your word faithfully and on this harvest Sunday, open our hearts to your wonderful creation and provision for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm Andy, um, and as John said, I'm part of the creation care team and a member of the Christchurch family. Um, I think when we um, pick the reading, um, I don't think we could have thought it'd be quite so pressing in front of um, the death of Queen Elizabeth, so we're obviously all mourning that event, as John said earlier. We feel sadness for the loss of such a faithful and servant-hearted leader, someone who loved nature, loved the land. Um, she's someone who knew that God was also really in charge, um, that in the reading, that a throne, powers, rule and authority came from God. Um, she knew that fully. Um, she wrote a wonderful book on um, one of her jubilees. If you read it, you'll hear her own words um, describing how she walked with Jesus her whole life. And she obviously loved animals, especially horses, um, and being out in God's creation, um, you know, in her last days, returning back to Balmoral, which she loved the Highlands of Scotland. So I think on Harvest Sunday, she would have really enjoyed the walk we're about to go on, um, a walk with Jesus. It's fully accessible. The pathways are brilliant, um, and it's open to everybody. Um, so I want you to sort of imagine your favourite place to go out in the countryside to walk. Mine is uh, it's a sort of close tie between Richmond Park, um, which is sort of close to home, and Dovedale up in Derbyshire, which is up where I grew up. But imagine your favourite place to go to walk in the world. And we're going to go for the walk in three parts. So first of all, we're going to start out with where it all begins with God and where it ends with God. And our relationships between our creator God, um, ourselves, the world around us, and his creation. Um, second, we're going to get into the difficult middle part of the walk. That's normally where Catherine goes, this walk's too long for the children, or we've got a bit lost. Um, it gets a bit, a bit difficult. It's, this walk's not going to go on for 40 years, don't worry. Um, but the bit about... Um, disobedient exile and obedient stewardship and where we fall in that dimension today. And look back at the Bible, which tells us a lot about um, God's ownership of the land. And lastly, we're going to get to the bit about hope. We're going to get to the bit there where Jesus steps in and stops that cycle of exile and return, how he sustains and heals absolutely everything, um, how we can have hope, how he saves, and how he promises a new creation as well. Um, so I like to think about this bit as the, the good bit of the walk. You've got the, the village pub in the distance, um, the appropriately named, in this case, Jesus Arms. Um, and there's a seriously good beer garden. It's a bit like paradise. So we'll get there right at the end. Um, so let's, let's start off our walk and start with that relationship um, with God. We are made to be in full relationship with God, the rest of creation and each other. That's what God wants. Now, reading today from Colossians describes Jesus as the firstborn over all creation. All things have been created through him. Um, and we see this in John chapter 1 with those famous lines that in the beginning there was a word. John's describing how Jesus was God and was with God right from the very beginning in the act of creation. The, the, the co-creators. And also that all things were created for him. That this world, the universe, is Jesus' inheritance from God. And we'll get to later on how it's one he shares with us. God created and owns the land and all living things in it. The seas, the skies, the whole universe. He loves his creation and it actually reflects his own heart. Um, the, uh, Graham uh, read in the prayers, uh, sort of Psalm 24, verse 1, 
It's got creation care motto, which is the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all, all who live in it. Um, you know, creation is God's and it reflects his own heart, but it was made for Jesus. And through the land and the seasons, God provides for us as well. We particularly remember this at harvest. Uh, John earlier read Psalm 65, and I think verse 9 is a really lovely verse in it. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with corn, for so you have ordained it. Part of God's love for us is the provision of food and drink and the other things we need. Whether we realise it or not, we're completely dependent on God and everything he does for us. The uh, Proverbs describes us as babbling babies left to look after creation. And I think today in Surbiton, with our you know, plentiful supermarkets, our very abundant coffee shops, which I must confess I do enjoy, um, the land can sometimes seem a bit disconnected from our day-to-day lives. It can feel like something that's you know, two or three steps removed from what we do on a daily basis. So I think harvest is a great time to reconnect with thanking God for his provision and for what he provides for us, particularly through the land. Now, at our best, when we're out, you know, walking in the Enrichment Park or in Derbyshire or wherever you like to go for your walk, um, or looking after our allotment or garden at home, um, yeah, we can see the miracle of God's creation. Um, we can see his fingerprints everywhere and be awestruck by the beauty and wonder of it. And we heard earlier that all creation worships him. In Psalm 98, verses 7 and 8, it goes, Let the seas resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and let the mountains sing for joy. The rivers and mountains praise God. Um, but sometimes we, God's own stewards, even if we are sometimes babies, forget to. Um, we act like the land is our own property, or even worse, a rubbish dump. Um, and this thing gets in the way of what God wants. It gets in the way of our relationship with God. Every time a species becomes extinct, we're erasing one of God's fingerprints on this creation. This thing gets in the way of loving our neighbours too, which is one of Jesus' instructions to us. We have wars that hurt people over territory, millions of people in food poverty in the UK and overseas, and a climate crisis is destroying the land of the people in the developing nations who are least accountable for that. And this is not how it should be. God wants us to be in a full relationship with him, with his creation, and all his people in Surbiton and across the world. And there is hope. We're going to get to that pub at the end. And spoiler alert, that's where Jesus comes into the picture. But before we do that, we need to get into the difficult middle bit of the walk where I get us lost and we kind of wander around a little bit. Um, and that middle bit of the walk, um, like so much of the Old Testament, is about obedient stewardship and then disobedient exile. Um, the Bible mentions the land over 2,000 times in a way that makes it way more than just historic scenery. It's not just a backdrop to a, a movie. Um, and, and what it's primarily saying is the land is God's to give, and he gives it abundantly. He's very, very generous through love, but it's also God's to take away. It's both a gift to us and a responsibility. Um, and it acts a bit like a barometer to how God's getting on with his people at any point in time and how obedient his people are being to his will. So let's just explore that a little bit further. And we're going to start in Genesis, because um, obviously that's a good place to start. So Genesis 1 describes God's divine plan for how his creation should be. 
his desire to have harmony with the whole of creation and with us. Like the ultimate gardener, he speaks order into chaos. Um, sometimes our garden is a little bit more chaotic. Um, he brings purpose and direction to the evolution of all living things. And then he rests and he enjoys his creation, like all good gardeners. He likes sitting out in the garden as well as actually working on it. God creates humans in his own image. He plants a garden called Eden, a paradise where he walks with Adam and Eve. Within that garden, he's in relationship with them, and that relationship is intrinsically linked to the land. If they obey God, they get to stay in the paradise. They get to stay in full relationship with him. Um, but of course, we all know the end of that story. It doesn't quite work out. They were tempted, they sinned, and as a result, they were banished from God's presence and that perfect land. So they were exiled. And throughout the Old Testament, that repeats again and again and again. We see God make a covenant with Abraham and his descendants. Their promised land was a gift from God. It was a gift of love. And this land was good, and it provided really well for them. All they needed to do was to be obedient. Now in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, we hear the instruction, Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you to a good land. And here's the sales pitch. A land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. Sounds like paradise again. Um, Through Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers, um, some of the less successful parts of the Bible, they even get a maintenance manual for how to look after the land, like allowing fallow years for for land, so that land is not over-farmed, things that we could probably learn from today. Um, But of course, in many ways, they didn't follow the instruction manual. And after centuries of disobedience, the Israelites were exiled to an oppressive land. And eventually, after repentance, God would be merciful and bring them back to their land. And then that rinse and repeat cycle of obedient stewardship and disobedient exile will continue again and again and again through the Old Testament. We're not going to go through all of it, don't worry. Um, That cycle continued until... Jesus stepped in and changed everything, changed the dynamic about that relationship we have with with the land. This is the final part of the walk. Um, So we can see the pub insistence, we can see Jesus' arms, we're on the downhill back to the end of the circular walk and a a nice pub lunch ahead of us. So we see in the Gospels that Jesus, who was there at the beginning, right? he was there in creation, he is fully God, but he's also fully human, as a human, he loved and was connected to the land. He was baptised in a river. He created and owned all the land. It was his. Yet he gave up his home, gave up all material possessions to spread God's word. He went into the wilderness to pray. He called fishermen and farmers as his disciples. Uh, no management consultants back then. He taught through parables of seeds and harvests, soil, figs, trees, shepherds, sheep, vines, and branches. Like he used the world around him to tell people how to be. And as he walked through the land, and with each miracle, he put a bit of God's kingdom into the world. He put God's kingdom breaking through there and then. And in his last hours of freedom, he spent those praying in a garden. This was a human who was completely connected to his creation. And then, on the cross, he changed everything. At that moment, he put our exile from the land and from God into reverse. 
on the cross. He goes into exile on our behalf for our sins. And we're free to stay in the land and in full relationship with God, never exiled again. That's incredible. Through his sacrifice, we share in his inheritance because our sins are forgiven. As a firstborn over all creation, it's his. He shares in his inheritance with us willingly and freely, not because we deserve it or because we can earn it, but because he loves us, and that's just incredible. And that closes the all the way back to God's promise to Abraham. But rather than this just being a land for the Israelites, this land belongs to everybody in the whole world right now. We need to remember that. Jesus commissions us to go out and spread the word throughout all the lands and to all people. We create little pockets of God's kingdom in the land as we gather together in his church to experience his power and presence. So the church has got a role in looking after creation. But for now, this world is not paradise. It is broken, and we still do a lot to break it. In a fallen world, the results of our sins against God's creation are evident. We overconsume. We would need three worlds if everyone lived like we do in the UK. We just overconsume resources. A million animal and plant species are threatened with extinction. In a fallen world, our sins against God's creation not only hurt the land and the sea and the skies, it hurts other people too. It hurts our neighbour. There are 150 million environmental refugees predicted by 2050. They have to leave their land because of climate change. We're seeing, obviously, the events in Pakistan at the moment that John referenced earlier, but many, many other examples around the world. These come from the poorest 3.5 billion people, and that 3.5 billion people only count for 10% of emissions at the moment. So we, you know, we in the West are causing harm to our global neighbours. Our relationships with God, his creation, and each other are broken in so, so many ways, and we need to say sorry and uh, be obedient more to his way. We often think that the solutions to that, though, lie in secular world or the corporate world only. We think that the, you know, these are issues to be campaigned on in Westminster, and of course they are. To be solved for by scientists, of course they are. And while those things are important and things we should pray for, we also need to act ourselves. Um, but I think there's something more than that. I think the root of what's going on is not a solely a scientific or corporate or political crisis. It's a spiritual one too. Healing the land starts with our repentance, and that's returning to God through Jesus. Looking after creation is part of our discipleship walk with Jesus and being more like him. Graham referenced some of the resources we have that can play into that discipleship earlier. Um, but I think it also starts with prayer. And I found a really lovely um, quote from Queen Elizabeth that talks about her obedience to God through prayer. She said, I just know how much I rely on my own faith to guide me through the good times and the bad. Each day is a new beginning. I know that the only way to live my life is to try to do what is right, to take the long view, to give of my best in all that the day bit brings, and to put my trust in God. We need to trust God, and we need to take the long view, and we need to rely on our faith to um, you know, change how we're behaving in the world at the moment. And when we're obedient to God, so when we show that obedience through prayer, through discipleship, we steward the earth in a better way that respects God's creation. Like, nature is incredibly resilient and bounces back in an incredible way, and there's, there's real hope out there. For instance, in the long-term measurement of 
um, recovery of the Great Barrier Reef. The north and central parts are in massive recovery now. There's a, a slightly more obscure fact that I found in the first news newspaper that the kids love, that the Saiga Lake population in Kazakhstan has recovered from 40,000 to 1.3 million. So there's, there is hope. There is, you know, God's creation is, is his. It will recover. Um, and that great hope is through Jesus. Jesus is the source, the sustainer, and the saviour of all things. As we heard in today's reading, by him, all things were created. Through him, all things were created. For him, all things were created. And through him, all things will be saved. Our God isn't an absentee landlord. He's not leaving us to it and wandered off and forgotten about us. He's sovereign over all land. He sent Jesus as part of his ultimate rescue plan, and his spirit is here to help us do that today, to act. And while we must care for his creation now, God also promises an even greater land, a new creation to come, a new Eden. In Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2, we hear, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. This is a vision of a new Eden, a new paradise. There won't be any sin or suffering. We will see Jesus' face and walk with him again in his creation and will dwell fully with God. But for now, we're in the world we're in. We need to look after it. It's God's creation. And with that thought, that's where we get to the end of our Harvest Sunday walk. As we sit back and relax in the pub garden of the Jesus Arms, the sun shining, I think we should say a big thank you to the, to the landlord. Um, so let me close in prayer. Father God, thank you for your loving creation and provision for us. Let us see clearly all things were created through Jesus, for Jesus, and that he saves everything. We're sorry for our sins against your beautiful creation and the others around the world. We ask for your forgiveness for these things. Fill us with the strength of the Holy Spirit to be more obedient and better stewards of this world and inspire us with the hope and love we have in Jesus in this world and the next. In Jesus' name, amen.